This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. My way was filled with danger. I felt alone. The enemy had singled me out to do me wrong. And when he drew near, my heart filled with fear. Then I heard someone dear calling me to his side. And I ran under his wings. And there me and now I can see and the enemy still looks for me but what he can't see is that I'm under my Lord's wings under his wings thunder Dark clouds hung low I was out in a storm Shivering in the coldness there No safe retreat from harm And there blew strong winds Would this be my end? And then I heard my friend Calling me to his side And I ran under his wings And there he covered me And now I can see And the storm still rages But in the rock of ages I am resting warmly here under my Lord's wings Under His wings And there He covered me And now I can see Under His wings Invite you into that place of safety, 
under his wings. Let's bow our heads and begin with prayer. Father, again, we just ask you to be with us as we study your word. We're not smart enough, we're not quick enough, we're not entertaining enough to be able to really do anything at all uh, except by your spirit. Lord, help us to uh, just say exactly what needs to be said today, no more, no less. Uh, We need you, in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of of 2 Kings chapter 12. We're also going to be in in uh, kind of a parallel book as well, 2 Chronicles chapter 24. There are two accounts there, but it's really one uh, of one story. Um, you notice here that I teach a lot from the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Uh, there are several reasons for this, uh, probably the main one being that the Old Testament is, is so rich um, in treasures. And I love treasures. I love to treasure hunt. And that's why I love arrowhead hunting. I love hunting for morel mushrooms. And, and, and I love looking for something that's not real obvious. And, and, and that's the way it is. If you read the Old Testament with this attitude, man, I got to get my Bible reading in. And so you speed read it just so you can check it off that you read it for the day. You are going to miss out on so much. But if you will take extra time and and dig, I mean dig, and you may need some commentaries, you may need uh, a discussion group, you may need a life group, but if you'll dig, you will find some golden nuggets. Now, today we're going to look at a fascinating story involving a king by the name of Joash. And uh, let me just try to set the stage with maybe three or four sentences that will give a summary and then we'll go back and, and expand on that. Um, the reign of Joash, the man that we're going to study today, was a reign filled with promise. It, it looked as if everything were in place to see a major revival sweep across the land of Judah. I mean, you could feel it in the air. It was, a, it was almost as if um, th- th- there was that sense that uh, something special was going to happen spiritually. But when all was said and done, it turned out to be the revival that wasn't. And instead of revival, the country fell deeper into compromise and sin. Now, I I wish I had the time to read the entire story, but it would involve reading several chapters. So I, I would just ask you, I challenge you, to uh, this next week, you can write it down, but 2 Kings chapters 9 through 12, as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 24, and that'll give you a bigger picture. And so if you could read that later on, not now, but later on, then um, maybe you can fill in some of the blanks that I won't have time to do today. Now, after the reign of King David, the country of Israel went into serious decline. And, and it was not only a spiritual decline, but it seemed like the entire infrastructure of the country began crumbling. The social aspect, the financial, economic aspect, and of, and of course the spiritual aspect. And during one particularly dark period in Israel's history, there was an uprising among the people. And this wasn't real uncommon, but, but in this uprising, and it was a coup, it was a bloody coup, it left dead the king whose name was King Ahaziah. Now, it's interesting 
that when King Ahaziah was killed, his mom, who was a wicked woman named Athaliah, and you're going to have to track with me or you're going to get lost here at the very beginning, but she became power hungry and, and so to speak, became kind of like a, a, a wicked witch of the West. And in a bizarre and almost incomprehensible move, she killed all of the royal family and the potential heirs and put herself on the throne. Now, when I said that she killed all the potential heirs, that is except for one. A one-year-old baby by the name of Joash, who was the son of the king who had been killed and, of course, would have been the grandson of this woman who put herself on the throne, he happened to be fortunate enough to have someone whisk him away and he escaped the sword. And what, what really took place was Joash's great aunt took him and, and his nurse and they fled to a secret place. And, and, and you'd never, unless you've read the story, you would never guess where that secret place was. It was at the temple. Um, now, now, that doesn't seem like a very secret place to me, a, a very good hiding place. But, but they were somehow, some way able to hide this little boy in part of the temple for six years. Now, now, now try to imagine hiding in a temple. And, and don't think that the temple was a place like a big megachurch. You know, we've, we've seen pictures or been to megachurches where you've got just dozens and dozens of rooms. And, and it, you know, it, it covers a block or two. It wasn't like that. The temple wasn't that big. But they were somehow, and of course we know that it was all orchestrated by God, that they hid this child there for six years. Well, when, when Joash was seven years old, and again, follow along closely or you're going to get lost, the, the, the priest at that time, whose name was Jehoiada, he staged an uprising against this wicked woman, and he placed Joash upon his rightful throne because he was the only heir that hadn't been slaughtered. So Joash became king of Judah at the ripe old age of seven. I don't know if there's any, I, I think all, probably most of the kids are in kitchen. Any seven-year-old here? I, not mentally, but I mean physically, uh, any seven-year-olds? Anybody? Is there one right there? Uh, would you want to just stand up or, or, or she? What, uh, too shy. Okay. Uh, all right. Sorry about that. Uh, but, but some of you have seven-year-olds or six or eight right, right around there. Can you imagine having them on the throne ruling a kingdom? Now, now what's so amazing about this is that regardless of the fact that, that Joash was so young, God began to use him to accomplish some amazing things. Let's not despise youthfulness. You know, what, what did Paul say to young Timothy in the New Testament? Don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. And that's good advice today. Uh, let's not look down on our young people simply because of their age. The, the, the truth is that there are some young people, and, and, and I'm thinking of one in this church in particular, that, that is much more mature than some of us oldies. Remember, age doesn't always determine our maturity level. Young doesn't necessarily mean they're immature. Old doesn't necessarily mean someone is, immature, is mature. Did I say that right? Young doesn't mean someone is immature. Old doesn't necessarily mean that someone is mature. 
So let's not despise age. But, but anyway, uh, when Joash became king at the age of seven, some great things began to happen. For example, the temple of Baal, which was an idolatrous temple, was totally destroyed under Joash. And the priest who had been performing the religious rites at that temple of Baal was put to death. And proper temple worship was reestablished. There, there was a new priority placed on the things of God. And so with all of these wonderful things that were happening, it appeared that another spiritual golden age were coming to Israel. It looked as if like revival were on the way. But something went terribly wrong. And it became the revival that wasn't. And the question we want to deal with this morning is, what went wrong? I mean, everything looked like it was in place for the country of Judah to go into a time of spiritual renewal. But when the dust settled, instead of renewal, instead of revival, the country plunged deeper into idolatry and compromise. Now, the reason I'm asking this question is because it, it appears, I believe, that God is trying to do something really special in our church. And I recognize that there are different seasons in a church. A, a church will have times where there will be visible outpourings of God's Spirit. And, and then at other times, God sometimes moves more behind the scenes. It took me a few years, but, but I've learned that just because we don't always see visible and tangible results of revival or evidence of a revival doesn't mean that God isn't still working behind the scenes. In fact, during one of the darkest periods in the history of mankind, and you know what that period was? That was when Jesus was on the cross and, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a dark, dark time. But during that dark time, God was doing His greatest work. So don't think that we always have to have a bunch of visibly exciting things going on in the church or in our lives for God to be doing a work. No, sometimes God does His greatest work during our seemingly darkest seasons. But, but having said that, it does appear, and, and, and there seems to be some credible evidence that, that it, as a church, as a people, we are in one of those seasons where, where God is wanting to visibly and tangibly pour out His Spirit upon us. Many of you know that I've been, been out of the country. And by the way, I'll be, uh, Pastor Mark and I will be telling about that, that trip uh, this evening, in the service this evening. But we went on a, a trip to Papua New Guinea which, uh, if you don't know where that is, that's actually north of Australia. Uh, but, but during that trip, and, and we were gone for 11 days, and I was trying to figure this up, and my brain is still kind of foggy from the 15-hour time change, but we, we traveled, I think it's right around 22,000 miles. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, all or at least parts of seven of the 11 days, we, either, we were either in the air or in an airport or in a vehicle traveling. I think we were only, we only had four days out of the 11 where we were not traveling. But, but anyway, during this trip, um, I had plenty of time to seek God in one of the legs from L.A. to Brisbane, Australia. It was supposed to be 14 hours, but we had a, a strong headwind, and, and I think it took us 16 hours nonstop just that one leg, and we had five other flights just going. And, and so I, I had plenty of time just to, uh, just to meditate and 
and to seek God and to pray and to just just think and 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 and, and read and and during that time I believe God began impressing some things upon me that Lord willing I'll be sharing over the next couple of weeks but 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 all of that to say that during those times that I spent with God, I just had the sense that, that God is bringing us to one of those seasons to where He is, he, he visibly wants to pour out His Spirit upon us as a people. And, and I don't want to look at, at, at this time, maybe in a few months or, or in a few years and say, you know, I thought the stars were aligning themselves at the church for there to be a, a tremendous revival and, but it ended up being an almost revival you know i want to be able to say that i want to be able to say that god truly moved and not i'm not looking for some wild experiences emotional experiences but i'm looking for someone that will go deep into the hearts of those of us that are really wanting to follow jesus christ with all of our hearts and so through this story of joash We're going to try to point out some things that quenched the revival during the reign of Joash several thousand years ago. And I think we're going to find out how incredibly applicable it is to 2016. And and hopefully we can avoid those mistakes so revival doesn't pass us by. I want to look at some roadblocks to revival that I noticed in this story. The first roadblock to revival is what I call a carelessness towards convictions. And again, try to track with me here because otherwise it's going to be just kind of a blurred mess. But, but remember, Joash became king at the age of seven. And, and obviously a seven-year-old doesn't have the experience or wisdom to direct the affairs of an entire country. And so it was necessary for, for someone to come alongside of him. And, and there was no be- nobody better to do that than, than a godly priest named Jehoiada. And, and Jehoiada began to dedica- dedicate himself to mentoring young Joash and helping him with the daily decisions that needed to be made. Now, before we continue with the story, let me just call a time out here. And, and I believe a few weeks ago I mentioned this, but I want to hit it again. And just say that mentoring is a lost art today. What's that saying? We train our dogs, but we let our kids run wild. And that's why I think that our society is such a mess today. Because we as adults, those of us that, that are quote-unquote spiritual adults we've quit being mentors and leaders and 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 more specifically men it seems like we've let go of this biblical concept you know we, we men need to man up we need to step up and and be leaders and and i believe it would please god for some of the ladies to surround younger ladies and and mentor them and encourage them as well we're such an individualistic society to where it's just us. And, and even though we may have a great relationship with God, you know, the question is, what are we doing to pass the faith on to future generations? But, but anyway, as long as uh, we, we see here that Jehoiada began to mentor young Joash, and, and as long as he was there as the mentor, as the discipler, Joash did pretty well. And we, re- we read that in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada the priest instructed him. So did you catch that? That was powerful. As long as Jehoiada was around to mentor and instruct Joash, 
as we say here in Cedar County, he done good. But then came the day that Jehoiada died. And what happened then? Well, we're going to jump to the parallel passage in Second Chronicles chapter 24, which, which also documents this, this, this account. We read that in, in verse 17. It says, after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, that's Joash, and he listened to them. So far, so good. But here's what happened. They abandoned the temple of the Lord. Uh-oh. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. Wow. So when, when Jehoiada died, the mentor and he was no longer around to prod and encourage and keep Joash on track. He began straying away from God. And, and the verse says that the temple was abandoned. So I guess you could say that church attendance went by the wayside. And they began to worship idols. Um, well, to me, this pretty much paints a picture of Joash... Not having convictions, personal convictions. He had made positive changes in the country, but it appears that these changes were not because of the convictions of Joash, rather they were only because of Jehoiada. Now you're saying, uh, what are you saying here? L let me bring this down really close to home. I believe we're living in a time where many of us have very few personal God-given convictions. Jim and I were talking this week, and I asked him what the stats were, but, you know, we see this evident among young people. As long as young people are still at home and mom and dad are on their case, they will come to church and basically at least appear to follow God and make the right decisions. But, but Fuller Institute says that 40 to 50% of young people, when they graduate from high school, they not only leave the home, but they leave the church. And because many of them never developed personal, biblical, God-given convictions that would keep them steady, they begin to do things that they would have never done earlier. And so, parents, I, I, I would urge you, urge us, to try to help our young people develop a foundation of convictions. And, and I know sometimes we, we have said th th this phrase, do it because I said so. Anybody ever say that? Just be honest. I have. And there's a time that I believe our children, our grandchildren, they don't need a reason. They just need to trust us. They need to respect us. And they probably wouldn't understand the reason anyway. But I believe at other times, because I said so is a cop-out, it's a lazy way. And, and we as parents need to take the Bible. And could you do that? Could you take the Bible and instruct them and tell them why we are asking them not to do this or why we are asking them to do this. And, and, and so we need to give a reason for the principles and help them understand that, that there needs to be a personal, God-given, Bible-based conviction. Now, young people are not the only ones that are guilty of failing to develop, to, to develop convictions. 
You know, we, I believe we have many adult Christians who are, who are in the same boat. As long as they're with the Christian crowd, as long as they're at church, uh, they do pretty well. They guard what they say. They guard what they do. But the moment many people get away from the influence of Christians, they get with the ungodly crowd, they're just like them. They begin to say and, and do things that are not pleasing to God. And so I have a passion, and as I've been praying about this, I, 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 I believe that we need a rebirth of God-given personal convictions. And I'm talking about biblical convictions. You know, in the past we've gotten confused. We've confused convictions with preferences. I'm not talking about preferences. You know, we all have our preferences. Preferences regarding our favorite Bible translation or or the style of music or even the style of, uh, of dress. Uh, those are preferences. But I'm talking about God-given, Bible-backed convictions that are not for sale. They're non-negotiable. They will not change with the times. Convictions that will keep us steady regardless of whether we're at church, at home, or at work. You know, unfortunately, I've had too many people come to me and say, you know, you really don't know my wife or my husband. (laughs) They act so wonderful around you. But as soon as they get home from church, they change. Could I challenge you to develop some convictions based on God's Word? Uh, Without sounding too old-fashioned, without sounding like an old man, of which I'm not, that wasn't that funny. I would like to see God's people develop some convictions in the area of dress. Frankly, I'm embarrassed at our society. And and God's Word doesn't give us a lot of instruction here. Except for one powerful standard that the Bible calls modesty. Now, as churches, we've made up a bunch of stuff here. We've come up with a list of rules They're not in the Word. They're preferences. But when it comes to modesty, that's not a preference. It's a biblical command. And again, don't don't read more into this than what I'm saying. But I believe in my heart that we need a rebirth of convictions in the area of modesty. We also need a rebirth of convictions in the area of what media, movies we watch, or websites we access, and you say, well, it doesn't really matter. Can't I just watch everything? And, you know, I, I'm, I'm mature enough. I can handle, you know, the, the flesh and the, the bad words and the violence and all of that stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual enough. I can deal with that. That's not going to influence me. Well, let me tell you how you can sort through what is biblical to watch or not. You, you can, there's a grid in God's Word that helps you to know what you can watch and what you shouldn't watch. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I've given this before, but, but I think we need to re- be reminded. This, these are some very specific instructions on what types of movies we can watch. It says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. Okay, we're into the grid now. Whatever is noble. Whatever is right. Whatever is pure. That knocks out about 80% right there. Whatever is lovely, 
that knocks out movies with violence. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, allow those into your mind. So, you're getting ready to watch a movie. You're watching a movie. Here's the grid. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? If it is, think about such things. Watch such things. We also need a rebirth of convictions in the area of speech. The Bible says in Psalm 19, 14, May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you. Are your words pleasing? You know, we need a rebirth of convictions in the area of our attitudes. It seems like God's people, nobody here but other churches really struggle with this. Many times they have rotten attitudes. They're complainers, they're negative, they're cynical, they're critical. Uh, We're talking about having a rebirth of biblical convictions. And as I study this story of Joash, it, it appears that Joash was operating on the convictions of somebody else, but he had not developed the convictions towards God Almighty. And so when he began destroying some of those pagan temples, it wasn't him. He went along with it because he was young. But when Jehoiada died, he basically went back to the way the nation was. The second roadblock to revival in the day of Joash was what I call a softness towards sin. I have to pick it up a notch here. We're going to be here till evening. Um, I noticed that even while Jehoiada was guiding and mentoring Joash, even though he did pretty well, we've talked about that, yet he tolerated some issues of sin. And we read that in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 3. It says, The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Now, now the high places were centers of idol worship on mountains and high, uh, you know, high areas. And, and it seems like down through history, and this is so interesting to me, it seems like down through history, mountaintops have been places where different religious has, religions have claimed. You know, most recently there when topped out there on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, um, it's interesting what was there at the top. And, and there were these prayer flags, um, which comes from the influence of, of Buddhism there from Nepal and Tibet area. So you got the prayer flags that were flying, so they would have kind of claimed, uh, Buddhists would kind of claim that. And then about 10 yards from just the marker there, says you are at the top of uh, Uru Peak, uh, you know, uh, Kilimanjaro. About 10 yards away, I noticed there was a little cross. And I went over there to it. In fact, I I just kind of laid my backpack against it. I thought that was kind of cool. So even there, I noticed that, uh, you know, different religions claim the high places as as theirs. 
And, and, and evidently that's, that went on back in the Old Testament. And, and so they would come to the high places and they would sacrifice animals. And, and uh, scholars even say that sometimes they would even do human sacrifices there in the high places. The, the, these were places of gross idolatry. And, and Joash did as many other kings tried to do. And, and he tried to play both sides of the field. You know, um, he, he tried to serve God, but maybe didn't want to give up everything of, of paganism. And, um, you know, it's kind of like an insurance policy. Yeah, I'm going to serve God, but just in case he doesn't come through, I'll have these little practices. Um, I, you know, I've seen this many times in, in other countries. And in the country where I spent 19 years of my life in, in South America... Uh, that they have a practice there where they take an aborted yama fetus and, and you can go to the witch doctor stands. Those of you that have been to Bolivia with me, uh, you know, we, we've taken you there. That was one of the stops. And, and what they will do is they will take this yama fetus and when they're building a new house, they will put that in the corner of the foundation. And, and, and of course, they, they've got so many animistic practices with Mother Earth and and, uh, you know, the gods of the sun and the moon and, and the hail gods and all of those. And so they believe that this is going to ward off the evil spirits. Now, the, the, the thing that's so troubling is, is there are a lot of our believers that would do the same thing. And so it was kind of like an insurance plan. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm going to serve God. But just in case he doesn't come through, I'm going to put that yama fetus there. Um. Let me bring it down to where it touches us. I believe there's some Christians that are playing both sides of the field. They want to serve God. They want to go to heaven. But they don't want to give up their sin. They say they love God, but not enough to completely give up their sin. I believe it would please God for us as the people of God to give up our sin I believe it would please God for us as children of God to give up our addictions and and, and I want to be sensitive here because I know that's a difficult thing to do but you know when we're fully controlled by or controlled by substances then that means we're not fully controlled by God and as long as we allow sin active unforgiven Sin, persistent sin in our life. Let me give you some news. God is not truly Lord of your life. You know, the story is told of a child who came to school filthy every day. And, and the teachers were appalled. And I'm sure those of you who are teachers here, you've, you've seen this. And, and so the teachers were talking about how, how can... The mom send this child so filthy every day, and and the and one of the teachers said, well, "I just think the mom probably doesn't love the child very much." And another teacher said, "You know, I don't think it's a matter of loving the child. I I just think it's a matter that the mom doesn't hate dirt." And I wonder sometimes if. We say we love God, but we don't hate the dirt of sin in our lives. You know, when we do that kind of stuff, I I don't believe God will ever bring revival to our lives. 
And so I just want to ask a really quick question before we move on to the final roadblocks. I want to just ask you, is there any persistent, unconfessed sin in your life? I mean, sin that you're allowing to be there. And obviously, if there is, I think this is the day that you can say, God, this is the day I want you to make me clean. The next roadblock to revival, third one, during the reign of Joash was the surrender of the sacred. Now, I found this one really interesting as I was studying this. And, and let me read a couple of verses here to give you the background for this point. Second uh, Kings chapter 12, verse 17, it says, About this time, Hazael, king of Aram, went up and attacked Gath and captured it. Then he turned to attack Israel. So this is an enemy king. And he's kind of going around strategically just taking over different cities. And uh, so when he came to Jerusalem, verse 18 says, But Joash, king of Judah, took all of the sacred objects dedicated by his fathers, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Ahaziah, the kings of Judah, and the gifts he himself had dedicated, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord, and of the royal palace. And he sent them to Hazael, king of Aram, who then withdrew from Jerusalem. So... What what happens is this enemy king comes in and and he's strategically going around that area, that part of the world, and and he's conquering cities. He comes, starts coming towards Jerusalem. And and what does Joash do? Instead of calling the country to to, to fast and, and to pray, he goes to the temple, takes the gold, the other valuables that had been dedicated to God Almighty, they're sacred things, and he buys off the enemy so they will leave him alone. Now, I understand today we don't have sacred because, you know, in in this age of grace, this is not the temple. You know that this is the temple right here. This is just a building. And and we don't have anything sacred. We may say, well, you know, this is sacred, you know, our our, our whatever altars or whatever, this this is sacred. No, there's nothing sacred here. It's just stuff. Stuff that will turn to rust and dust. But back in in the Old Testament, it was sacred because they brought gold and valuables and dedicated it to God. And so he began just giving that away to buy off the enemy. You say, well, how does that apply to us today? Well, when push comes to shove in our lives, what gives way? Well, for example, and, and this is probably going to get, get a little bit close. I'm not expecting anybody to just get real excited and start shouting amen and hallelujah. But when the budget gets tight, what gets cut first? Cable or tithe? Internet or the support of that missionary you signed up to help keep on the field? Your daily soft drink and snack from the convenience store? Or that anonymous offering to help that needy family? Or, or when life gets hectic, what's the first activity to go? You know, life groups or, or sports? Bible reading? Prayer time? Whatever. You know, the truth is that most of the time we wouldn't dare think of forfeiting internet, cable, 
sporting events, cell phones, our daily ration of junk food. We wouldn't think of forfeiting that, but but we have no problem forfeiting those things that will make us better followers of Jesus Christ. Hey, we're almost finished with your misery this morning. One more. Hang with me. The last roadblock was the refusal to repent. You know, God is so faithful. Amen? God's a faithful God, and He sent a wake-up call to the nation of Judah, but it was ignored. And let me read four verses for you and, and, and really try to track with me. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse 19. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to Him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you've forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. Now, we, we don't focus on that. What, what do we say? Well, you know what? I, I strayed away from the Lord, but He never left me and, and all of that kind of stuff, which is true. The Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. But, but did you pay attention? Because you've forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. I believe there comes a time when we willfully disobey that God withdraws His protective covering. Well, let's continue reading. It says, verse 21, But they plotted against Him, and by order of the king, they stoned Him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. King Joash did not remember the kind of Zechariah's father Jehoiada had shown him, but killed his son, who said as he lay dying, May the Lord see this and call you to account. So basically the summary is that Joash strayed from God. God in His mercy sent messengers to warn him, but Joash didn't want to listen to them, and so he killed the messenger. Now, when we disobey God, God will always be faithful to send us a wake-up call. God's a faithful God. Amen? He's faithful. You know, I found that when I've strayed away from God... The Holy Spirit has been there. And, and He comes to us, first of all, through what I call conviction. Conviction is when, is when the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and our conscience is troubled. We've done wrong and we're troubled. And thank God, thank God that He's so faithful to alert us. You know, when you do wrong, you know, some people think, well, how am I going to know? And I'm afraid I want to... No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit will be so faithful to come and convict you. But you know what? Some people are stubborn. And conviction isn't enough. So many times God will take us to the next level. And that's what I call discipline. You know, the Bible says that God, those that God loves, He... He chastises or chastens, chastens or, or disciplines. And, and He allows painful things to happen to us as a form of discipline. Why does He do that? Because He loves us. He doesn't want His child 
to be hurt anymore. So he convicts us. And it's not because he wants to be mean. You know, when you discipline your child, it's not because you want to be mean and you like to see them hurt and suffer. No, no, no. It's because you know that your child needs correction and your child needs to understand that that behavior is not acceptable. It's not right. And it will harm them. And so when God comes with his discipline, it's not because he wants to just show you who's boss. It's because he loves you. And he's trying to correct behavior that will just hurt you. But you know what? Some, some of us, we're so hard-headed that even after conviction, after discipline, we still don't change. And so then God allows then another level to come to us. And this is what I call consequences. You know, sin always has its consequences. And, and, and yes, sin will be punished in the next life. But, but often there are serious consequences of our sin in this life. And, and this is where the pain will be taken to a new level. And the whole time God is just crying and saying, Oh, child, come back. Come back. Come back. And it's a very dangerous thing for us to shut our ears and, and ignore the wake-up call to repentance. Let's try to wrap this up. And you know, honestly, I don't want to miss the revival that I, I sense God is wanting to send us. I want revival in my own heart. And, and that's really where revival begins. Revival isn't going to begin here in the church on a Sunday morning. It's going to begin in our hearts, each individually. And so if you're praying for revival, you know the best way to pray for revival? First of all, start in your own heart. I want revival in this church, in this community. And then God knows our country needs revival. You know, I want revival in our life groups. You know, I, I, I love to hear that God moved in our Sunday school classes, our life groups, our kids clubs. And, you know, that's where I want revival. I, I, I want revival in our encounter groups. I, I want revival wherever we are, in our homes. I'd love to hear... You know, parents saying, you know what, God met with us as a family during our quiet time as we were having our, our devotions. God met with us, and I want revival there. And I don't, want, I don't want anything in my heart or my life to hinder revival. And I just sense that maybe God is leading us in a couple of directions over the next couple of weeks, and I'll share as God, you know, kind of fleshes out some stuff to me. I'll, believe you me, I'll share it with you. But I don't want to be the one that hinders revival, and I don't want you to be the one that hinders revival. So here's what I'm asking you to do. This next week, would you just clean out all of the junk from your life? And I want to do the same. That's the first step. You know, if there's sin in your life, that's a hindrance to revival. You're not going to have personal revival if you've got sin in your life. Unconfessed sin. I'm not talking about sin that has been confessed and turned from. I'm talking about current, present, persistent sin. And so this week, I'd like to just ask every one of us to just find a quiet place. And if you don't have a quiet place, come to me. I'll find you a quiet place. I'll send you out to, to the middle of nowhere. But I want you just to take this time and truly get serious about becoming clean, pure. 
before a holy God. Can we do that? And if we'll do that, ladies and gentlemen, revival will come. But it starts with God's people seeking God, repenting, turning away. And if we do that, I believe we are entering the golden era of the Church of God holiness. But if we don't do that, who knows? But I'm just anticipating that we are on the horizon for some amazing things. So, you know, you're welcome to come to the altar this morning if you want. I, I, I really don't feel the led, led to call you here, but you're welcome to come. If you want to come, you're welcome to. But I'm feeling led to challenge you. And this is hard because I know as soon as we go out the door, the passion is gone. The emotion is gone. But I believe more than an emotional thing, this needs to be a, deci- a decision that we make. We're going to seek God this week. We're going to ask Him to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Is that a deal? You with me? Can we do that? Father, take these words. Take this account. Seal it to our hearts. Lord, burn it to our hearts. Father, I pray that we would become followers of Jesus Christ, not just in name, but in deed, in action. Lord, that you would do something that we've never seen before. Lord, we've seen some revivals, but God, we don't want to put revival in the mold of something that took place years ago. Lord, we just are here saying, here I am, Lord. Use me. Do through me what you wish. And I will follow you. God, I pray that you would help us to to make sure that the sin is confessed and turned from. And Lord, there's some sins probably represented here that we can't take care of on our own. We're going to have to have God coming to deliver us. But you're a God that loves to do that. And so we just appeal to you. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that gives us pertinent instruction on how to have spiritual renewal. We love you. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, expecting great things. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for being patient, for not throwing rotten tomatoes or anything like that at me today. And if you feel like you still want to seek God here at the altar, just come on forward and you can spend some time praying just as long as you want. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.